It has been a very long time since my mother and I have been in the same city. I mean, last year she moved here, so to be with us. But before then, I was off and everywhere else but home. So happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to the rest of you as well. Welcome. Um, I know that it's Mother's Day, but with graduation upon us, as many of you have seen, if you follow me on social media, <clears throat> I've been walking down memory lane thinking of this little girl. Oh my gosh, that wasn't supposed to make me cry. I know, like, I, I can do this, guys. I can. We can make it. We can make, we won't make it. So anyway, I've been going down memory lane. She's graduating, blah, blah, blah. All the, you know, really big things like that. And um, so I started thinking, um, but don't worry, I didn't, I didn't bring any embarrassing pictures of you to show to the world. She's like, yes, I saved those for the graduation party because I've been waiting 18 years for this slideshow and they're coming. So 18 years ago, walk down memory lane with me. We moved to um, New York. We lived on Long Island, a little town, a little, little dinky little town called Valley Stream. It's about 30 minutes outside of Manhattan. Our, um, our apartment was like a mile outside of Queens. And um, believe it or not, my husband was a children's pastor. Not a good fit, but it was awesome. Well, we, he, he does a great puppet. If you ever need a good laugh, come to him and ask him. And man's great with a puppet. It's fantastic. He's got hidden talents. So we moved out there. We had lived there for about five weeks um, when my water broke on November 24th. And Holly was born on November 26th. The problem was her due date was February 18th. She's always had her own plans. This was not how it was supposed to go, and we had planned and prayed and done everything right and trusted God with our little growing family, and now we had a two-pound, five-ounce child who wasn't supposed to survive the night. I don't know why I didn't think I would cry. So we had a preemie. She was in the NICU for 75 days. The hospital that she was born at... Um, they were in the middle of construction, so the NICU had been moved to be part of the PICU, which is the pediatric ICU. And um, so everyone's used, utilizing the same space, which means no room in options, no place for mom to stay. So after I had her, I had to leave. So then we started this fun routine of every day waking up really early, and there were specific times that um, NICU parents could go visit their babies because sharing all this space. So I would be able to see her every two to three hours. So I would sit downstairs and spend my days. Jerome would drop me off at the hospital and um, at this nice Jewish Catholic hospital. It's a great combination. There were menorahs and crucifixes. It was fantastic. The food was great. But I would sit in the lobby <clears throat> with this nice man who played the piano throughout the day, and I would go upstairs, spend my 20 minutes with her, and then I would come back downstairs for two to three hours, and this was my life. And then once she finally came home, there was isolation because she came home around her due date just before um, Valentine's Day, but 
she could know she could not be around anyone anyone so i did not go to church i did i would go to the store every once in a while jerome would come home and i'd be like oh, i need to go grocery shopping please i need other people if you know me at all i'm a people person i need people and that year in new york it snowed in may and i stood at my window and cried <laughs> saying lord i'm so alone so alone I was far from my family. It was a new state, new culture. If you've ever been to New York, you know that is not the Midwest. Not the Midwest. I did not anticipate that culture shock. Wow. And I felt distant, not just from family or people in general, but from God himself. And I know that I'm not the only one who's ever walked a road like this. Even if you didn't arrive into motherhood via tragedy or trial, Motherhood itself can feel so isolating. The sheer exhaustion, the physical strain that it puts on you, then there's the loss of identity, there's the loss of your world when all of a sudden you got your kid and they're on you all the time. Because it's not that you're not alone, you're just not ever by yourself. I see some heads nodding. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I have... Now, four children, I am not alone, ever. <laughs> but even if you're not a parent, then you know that sense of being alone. You know the loneliness that maybe life changes bring, like new jobs or moving to a new house, moving to a new city, graduation, taking the next step in life. Maybe you've lost something so familiar to you, and now you feel alone and you don't know what to do because everything changed. Even if you knew it was coming, like we want change so much, but then when it happens, we're like, that's not what change was supposed to be. That is so not okay, not okay. In fact, if you Google loneliness, you'll find about 701 million results that will come up in less than under a second. Articles, studies, blogs, people trying to find help from the loneliness. And we would do well to pay attention to this phenomenon because long-term studies indicate that loneliness is very dangerous. In recent years, it's been linked to increased rates of hypertension, sleep disturbances, and mental illness. According to one study last year in the United Kingdom, it was found that loneliness can be as harmful to your long-term health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Whoa! That's, that's a little messed up. <laughs> like, I thought I was fine not smoking, but here I am just, you know, <laughs> sucking down my loneliness. <laughs> but this isn't just a problem outside of the church. A simple, another Google search for loneliness and Christian will yield a measly 13,300,000 results. Apparently, we're lonely too. And if you're struggling with feelings of loneliness... You're not alone, amazingly. And the beauty of this series of the Book of Glory is that we see that God has brought us right here to Mother's Day at this time in the Book of John to assure us that we're not the first ones to experience these issues and these emotions. So turn with me to John chapter 14. I thought I'd stay in the series instead of 
doing a special Mother's Day. Because the more I read this, I said, wow, moms need to hear this a lot. I know everybody needs to hear this, but mamas, this is for you. We're still in, at the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. These are Jesus' final hours with them before the end. Last week, Pastor Jerome walked us through the I Am statements of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus explaining how he and the Father are one. And we left off with Jesus telling the disciples how they will do even greater things than he, bringing glory to the Father. So let's pick up where we left off. We're reading John chapter 14, starting verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Woo! Now that's a passage that'll preach. It's so comforting and yet makes you wonder, then, why do I feel the way I feel? See, we've been hearing about the intimacy and this relationship that Jesus is bringing to them, and we know we're coming up to chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, the vine and the branches, the call to abide in me. And as tempting as it is to just flip that page, because I love the passage, I've been so captured by this portion of Scripture this week. So we're going to camp here, that and because Jerome gets to preach that passage. But this isn't just some random aside about the Holy Spirit. This section is more than Jesus' final checklist before he leaves. It's not simply the final countdown. I am statements, check. I'm in the Father, Father's in me, you and me, I'm in you, check. Love me, obey my commands, check. Promise of the Holy Spirit, check. Abide in me, check. I don't think Jesus is sitting there going, like every time he passes one, like, yes, I remembered that one. Woo-woo, got it. Ooh, abide in me, it's coming. Woo. That's not what he's doing. All of these things show us that instead of Jesus' finale, these are all related in this relationship discussion that he's having with them. The entire Last Supper is this continuous conversation about the intimate relationship Jesus' followers are embarking on with him and the intimate relationship that we're called into. I mean, if you think about it, they're already thinking, you know, Jesus, we're pretty close. Like, we've lived together, eaten together, had a few crazy boat rides together, laughed, joked, cried, crazy life experiences. I can't imagine their dinner table conversations. I'm used to very weird dinner table conversations. I have three boys. It's never a normal dinner conversation, but I'm pretty sure that their dinner table conversations were nuts. Can you imagine after the days that they had had with each other, sitting down and being like, all right, seriously, is anyone going to talk about what just happened? Every day. So they're looking at Jesus like, what do you mean? Like, 
We have a great relationship, right? Right? And then just before we started reading where Jerome left off last week, he said, Jesus was straight up like, guys, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just buckle up. The ride's going to get fun. And then he drops the truth that everything's changing. Like, you're going to do so much more amazing things. I'm out, by the way. I'm leaving. So can you imagine their faces? Like, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're leaving. And this is good. This is a gift. This is a what? Like, I myself, I find myself saying that what half the time with me and Jesus, and I'm on this side of Calvary. They're there going, I don't understand. They wouldn't have him physically with them, and that's a gift. But he says, hey, the Father is sending help. Jesus knew that the requirement of following him in this life, loving and keeping his commands, would require something more than we could handle on our own. We needed a resource of divine proportions. We need the gift of the Holy Spirit to do any of these things, to love him, to obey him. We need the Holy Spirit in us not just Jesus with us, sitting there physically talking to us. He says, I'm leaving so that you will have better things. And how many times do I just want the physical presence of Jesus there so I can put my head on his shoulder and bawl my eyes out when it doesn't go the way I want? Because I think that that's what would be better. Because I understand the physical I don't know how many of you have your love language as a physical touch. That says a lot to me. To have that hand on the shoulder, that reassurance, that knowing you are loved. And he says, but this is even better. And they're very confused because he keeps saying, I love you. You love me. I'm in you. I'm out. And they're trying to reconcile all this just like we are. But he says, you need the gift of the Holy Spirit. I would like to make a little quick caveat here. I feel the need to say that the Holy Spirit is not the crazy uncle of the Trinity. He doesn't just show up to freak people out with his party tricks. This is the paraclete. This word is translated differently in different Bible translations. Comforter, advocate, friend, helper, counselor. Lots of different words. Because there is no good perfect English equivalent to this. It's like, which definition? Yes. Because there's so much weight in this person of the Holy Spirit. There's so much to be said about the Holy Spirit that I would hate for you to boil everything down to. He's the crazy guy in the Trinity because he's not. Jesus says he is another advocate who will never leave. The Holy Spirit who leads into all truth, who points you to he who is the way, the truth, the life. He who is in you. Further down in verse 26, the advocate is Christ's representative, teaching everything and reminding us of everything Jesus said. No longer simply with them, but in them they still have the issue of him leaving. But he's leaving for their benefit. He won't physically be with them, but Holy Spirit moves in. He takes over to empower, teach, remind, encourage. 
Jesus told them they could take heart, that he wasn't abandoning them. So I would like to give you this gift this Mother's Day. And if you get only one thing, hear this. You can be confident that you are not alone, not because you have someone physical to hold on to, but because you have Holy Spirit living inside of you. There's a confidence that comes in that. No matter what you face in life, no matter where you find yourself, if you're a new mom who's exhausted from lack of sleep and feeling cut off from your friends and your family, the life you used to know, the body you used to know, the everything you used to know, because now all you know is babies, and that's a lot. Sorry about that earring thing. Or maybe you're a parent watching your grown child make mistake after mistake after mistake, knowing there's nothing you can do to help. Or maybe you're stepping out alone into a new life situation, not sure of what's coming next. This relationship that we're called to, that we have in Jesus, includes this promise. And we, we sung earlier about the God of the promise, right? We proclaim that. We believe it. He is the God of the promise. And it's going to be because he said it's going to be. So if we believe that, then we can be confident that we are not alone. Not because we have someone physical to hold on to, but because you have Holy Spirit living inside of you. And I'd like to add something here again. I don't want you to leave thinking that this is another task or a condition. We all have task lists. We all have to-do lists. And this is not Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to put something else on you. If you love me, then this. I'm going to give it to you the way that I read it earlier this week in one of my husband's wonderful commentaries. It's crucial to recognize that the gift of the paraclete is not to be understood as some kind of quid pro quo between Jesus and his followers, as though the market exchange for the Holy Spirit was our obedience. We do not earn the Holy Spirit any more than we can earn our salvation. But in the process of responding to the Son of God, we discover that Jesus has provided a divine agent to us for living in this world. That's kind of cool. I have a divine agent. I feel really important thinking about it that way. So that being said, how do we do that? Like, these all sound really awesome, and I know this. How do I do this? How do I live that out? How do I stand confident in this truth that I'm never alone when so much around me seems to contradict that? First of all, remind yourself. I know that this sounds really like, well, duh. Like, it sounds very simple. Remind yourself that you are not alone. I say this as the first thing because Jesus found it so important that he included this in his final hours with his disciples. Of all the things that he could be sharing with them, he says, remember, you're not alone. If Jesus thinks it's that important, I need to remind myself. I need to think it's that important to remind myself of the truth that I am not alone. Because I'm telling you what, the enemy wants you to believe that you are alone. Otherwise, we wouldn't have 701 million articles and blogs and studies. We're believing the lie that we're alone. 
This past week, I sat at a ball game. All three of our boys are in baseball. Holly just finished up track. Thank the Lord, one sport down. So that was a lot of juggling schedules. So I'm sitting there, and I just kept like, oh, that, that didn't help. Ooh, like, I'm taking all these deep breaths. Like, I'm going to hyperventilate sitting at a baseball game watching my kids play. It's not because of them. I'm sitting there thinking about everything on my list of things that I have to do, a graduation party coming up. Did I make sure to t ask Holly about the extra graduation tickets? Have I done this? Have I done that? Man, I haven't even been able to have lunch with my friends in, like, months. I don't know. And I just list after list after thing after thing. And I'm sitting surrounded by people, and I started to feel this tunnel vision of all of a sudden... I've got so much, and there's no way I can do it. And, and I'm, like, panic breathing at a baseball game. I know no one ever else, nobody else does this, I'm sure. So I'm sitting there having this moment, and I'm, God comes to me, because I was also thinking, you know what, God, I don't want to waste people's time come Sunday morning, and I want to be able to have something great to say, something deep, theologically sound. And God said, hey, you mind reading that passage again? Maybe just because they need to know the same thing you need to know right at this moment in the middle of this crowd at this ball game, you're not alone. And guess what? I'm, I'm with you. I am in you, speaking to you. And you won't be alone on Sunday either, and you won't be alone in your times of study, and you know that you have people, and I have placed people there with you. And I'm sitting there, Crying, of course, at a ball game because who cries? Other. At this ball game where God's like having a moment with me and He's like, maybe you need to know what you're going to tell them that you're not alone. Remind yourself. Yes, sir. Great moment to say yes, sir, in the middle of a ball game. Remind yourself, please, that you are not alone. Because if Satan can get you to believe that lie, then he is winning. And I don't want to let him win. Because that's just no fun. You're not alone. Remind yourself. The second thing, experience the Holy Spirit. According to D.A. Carson, the Spirit is to be experienced, otherwise the promise of relief from the sense of abandonment is empty. If, if you don't ever deal with knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then you will sit in your sense of abandonment and think, God's awesome, he's great, but does he really care about me? Again, we're going back to a lie that Satan is trying to get you to believe that Jesus was here, he lived, he went back to heaven, and now he gave you this list of rules that you have to follow all on your own. And the Holy Spirit is just like, no, 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 no. So after we remind ourselves, then we experience the Holy Spirit. One author that I love his name because it made me hungry. His name is Schnackenberg. <laughs> I just, okay, I'm good. In the 20th century, consciousness of the presence of the Holy Spirit has to a very great extent disappeared, even in the believing community. It is possible to say that the only person who will understand the words about the Spirit is the one who has already experienced the presence of the Spirit. Wow. Experience the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not talking about an altar moment where you're sitting there and like the music's just right and, and like everyone, it's just like this perfect, perfect service and everything's amazing and you've got like these Holy Ghost goosebumps. That's not what I'm talking about. Those are cool. What I'm talking about is what Pastor Jerome talked about last week. Lean into relationship with the one who is the way, the only way. Lean into the one who is the truth. Not the one who is a truth. Not the one who's a good idea. But the one who is the truth. Because when you lean into the one who is the truth, all of a sudden you know what the truth is and that helps you understand what the lie is. Because if I'm leaning into truth, then I know that when that little whisper comes and says, how alone do you feel? I can stand up and say, honestly, not very alone. Thank you very much. Because I'm leaning into this dude over here. Because I'm leaning into the truth. I'm leaning into the way, the only way. And if I know this truth, then I know that the only way is Jesus. That's the only way. Google won't give me that answer. Jesus will give me the only way. the only way, the only truth. And I need to lean into the relationship with the one who is the life. In the Bible, Jesus says, I have come to give you life abundant. I don't know about you, but I want abundant life. But if I'm not leaning into truth and I don't know the truth and I'm listening to lies, I don't have abundant life because I'm not experiencing the joy of the truth and the life. Jesus says that he is life, which means he is what we are pursuing. Life. Life to the fullest. I'm not alone. And when I experience the Spirit by leaning into Jesus, there's that fullness. There's that understanding that I may not have life the way I want it right now. But I have life the way God designed it for me right now. When I was sitting in a hospital waiting room, waiting for the hours to tick, tick, tick by so that I could go back up and see my preemie and telling God, this isn't how it was supposed to be. And he was saying, really, did you write that book? And I didn't. And I was really mad at God that day. Because if I wrote the book, there wouldn't be a baby struggling for life. There wouldn't be marriages splitting up. There wouldn't be children walking away and never coming back. But I didn't write the book. You didn't write the book. So we can lean into the one who did write the book, knowing that he's not just standing there with us because there's a big difference in someone being with you and being in you because in you means no matter where you go he's with you he is right there speaking reminding this is the truth this is the truth this is the truth here's what jesus really said about that here's what jesus really said about you this is the truth this is the truth about your situation 
You didn't design it, but honey, I designed that for you. You're walking through that, and I know it's hard, but I put you there on purpose. And you don't see it right now, but I put you there on purpose. You don't see why, but I know why. And I haven't left. You know how cool that is? The Holy Spirit is inside of us. I can't walk away from him. I can make mistakes, and I can just keep tumbling down my road, doing my thing, and thinking that I've got it together, but maybe I'm making choices that lead me away from Jesus. But guess what? Where is the Holy Spirit? He's inside me. So even if I trip and fall, he's like, let's go. I got you. But Satan wants me to think I've tripped and fall, and he's over there. And that I'm all by myself. It's all back to Jerome's sermon series where he had the trash. What am I going to believe? If I'm leaning into truth, then I know that he's right there with me. Because guess what he told us? He's right there with you. He doesn't leave you. And he says in here, when you love me, when you love me, I am in you. When you follow me, I am in you. And this isn't that if, if then. It is a since you love me because <clears throat> you are in relationship with me. This is what's going to happen. I am with you. The last thing that I think that you should do is engage. Engage in that relationship that you're experiencing, but engage with those around you. One of the difficulties with being alone, and this is not in my notes, I'm so sorry for you guys in the back. If you can engage in life, that helps you take a step away from loneliness. I'm going to go super clinical on you on that one. If you find yourself feeling lonely, if you find yourself feeling abandoned, if you find yourself feeling the depression creeping in, what is our first response? I'm just going to sit back here, and I'm just going to take care of me, and I'm going to just hide, because it hurts too much to go anywhere else and do anything else. And I want to encourage you. Remind yourself that you are not alone. Experience the Holy Spirit and then engage in what God has given you. Engage with those people sitting around you. Sign up for a life group. That might be the last thing you ever thought you wanted to do. Like, really, I don't want to sit around with anyone. I don't like people. I'm not one of those people, but you might be. But guess what? God never intended you to do this alone. Try something new. Engage. Engage with sharing your life with others, whether that means as you walk out this door and you encounter people you work with. Engage. One of the coolest things that happened as a result of Jesus leaving and the Holy Spirit coming into them we sang about it. The Spirit lit the flame and the Church of Christ was born. This is a group of people who were terrified when Jesus died. They hid. Life as they knew it had changed. But Holy Spirit moved in. And we see the results. We know the results. We're standing in the results because the world exploded. Because these people all of a sudden realized, 
Holy Spirit's inside me. And there was an empowerment. There was a difference that was made. Not because their lives became easy. Rome still persecuted them. They were still thrown into arenas, into jails, onto crosses. These were normal events. The Jews still hated them and persecuted them, stoning them, putting them in their own jails, isolation galore, being cut off from families. And you know what they did? They told more people about Jesus, not less. They didn't hide. They took steps out saying, y'all need to hear this because it's amazing and it's life-changing and it could change your life too. They engaged and that's not easy. One of the hardest things for me when Holly could finally be in the world was engaging in the world. It was terrifying because people would show up in public and sniffle. How dare they? And I would turn to fear. I'm like, what's going to happen to my baby? But you know what? God wrote the story, not me. God put me there. God never left. And he never leaves you. So if you can be confident that you're not alone, not because you have someone physical to hold on to, but because you have Holy Spirit living inside of you, then I would like to read a few more of Jesus' words. In verses 25 through 27, I'm going to read it from the message because I love the way that it's read there. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, he's going to make everything plain to you. He'll remind you of all the things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. I leave you with Jesus' words. A gift of peace. Don't be distraught. Holy Spirit is in you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the peace of mind and heart that we can have, knowing that we're not alone. Thank you, O Holy Spirit, for dwelling inside of us, helping us take the next step when we don't know how. Lord, I praise you and I thank you that you are with us. God, I pray that you would help us as we walk, that each step would be yours, that each step would be glorifying to you as we love you and as we navigate this road. We pray that we would be able to experience more of the Holy Spirit in us.